Good to see you. If you're a visitor, my name is Blake. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad you're here. I, I don't remember where it's at. I feel like there's somewhere in the Bible that says there is a special place in heaven for those who make it to corporate worship on Memorial Day weekend. I think it's in hesitations or first opinions or somewhere along those lines. We're in a series called Resonant Aliens where we've been working through the, the letter of Peter, his first letter. And Resonant Aliens is this idea of elect exiles. We are a contrast society and he started showing who we are and now we're beginning to see who it is we are to be. Our activity in light of our identity. And so if you've got a Bible, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 to 17 this morning. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 17, hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together once more. Father, thank you for your kindness to us this morning. Thank you for the ability to come together and sing your praises, sing your words, sing about the goodness of the gospel, and pray and hear about your call upon our lives. Thank you that we have the freedom. We are thankful for so many who have given their lives as we think about this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, those who've given their lives so that we might have freedoms such as the freedom we are practicing right now to gather together and do business with you, our King and our Creator. Help us this morning, we ask, by your Spirit, through your Word. We pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Two points this morning from our verses. We've seen it before, actually. It's, again, display the kingdom and declare the kingdom. Or in other words, we need to walk the walk and talk the talk. So first thing, display the kingdom by your lives. Remember, I said a few weeks ago that the church, this new covenant community, is to be sort of like a movie trailer, a preview. And so people look at us, and they should see the best of what heaven will have to offer. We give them a glimpse, a preview, so they see our lives, and they see, well, that's what heaven's supposed to be like. They look at the way we do life together, and they're intrigued, and they're drawn in. And Peter talks a lot about our distinctive behavior being attractive to unbelievers. We show the watching world what redeemed humanity is supposed to look like, and he gives us several ways here, starting in verse 8. Finally, and of course, Peter's a preacher, so that word means nothing because he's not even halfway finished yet. But finally, 
all of you. First, he says, be like-minded. Be like-minded. Have the same mind. Like-minded is, is a foundational value for the Christian community and for the unity of the Christian community. And, of course, God's word is the source for the like-mindedness. We look to this for our source of truth. We share the same values and the same purpose and the same passion, and we have the same mind. It's part of what we're doing right here is we're shaping that. So doctrine matters for community life. And see it in Philippians 2. Paul says, make my joy complete by having the same mind, the same love, and being in one in spirit and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus had. And then he tells us, what was that mindset? Well, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he gave it up for us. He gave it up. He gave up his rights for our good. That's our model for like-mindedness. So we are different. We're distinctive. We're a contrast society because we share the same hope, same vision, same goal, same purpose. We're like-minded. Then he says, be sympathetic. It's really similar to what he says right after that is compassion. It's really actually from the same word. It's to have passion with. It's to share feelings. It's so important he mentions it twice. It's to have a tenderheartedness towards one another. It's to feel for and to feel with the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's to weep with those who weep. And, of course, this assumes depth of relationship. And if I know you a little bit and, I, and you suffer some loss and you share it with me, I might to an extent be able to rejoice with you if you're rejoicing or weep with you if you're weeping. But if there's depth of relationship there, I don't even have to work at it. It comes naturally. And I can feel with you and, and you can feel with others and, 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 and come alongside them in a way that you couldn't if you do it. So much of the Bible just assumes depth of relationship and feel with each other in a whole new level. So we should be sympathetic. We should be compassionate, tenderhearted toward one another. We're to display the kingdom by loving one another. Love is, of course, we've got to define it biblically because I love tacos and I love my kids. Those aren't the same kinds of love. Love is biblically defined by the cross. 1 John 3, 16, really good verse to have memorized. By this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what love is. It is giving of self for the good of another. And love is so vitally important in the Christian life. Are we loving one another? Peter's mentioned it a few times. Notice he said in chapter 1, verse 22, it's the goal of being born again. Look at verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love so that you have sincere love. You've been converted so that you have sincere love for one another. And then he gives the command, love one another deeply from the heart. Love is so important in the church. It's one of the main fruits that we're even a believer. Now, there's a lot of professing believers in Abilene, Texas. First John says in a couple places, this is how we know who are the children of the devil and the children of God. The children of God do right and love one another. That's how we know we're believers is we have a love for one another. It cannot be explained except for the supernatural unifying power of the spirit. He says a little bit later in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So love is so important. Love is one of the main 
evidences that we've actually been born again. And so if you hear me talking and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no affection, much less will to care for the people around me. Maybe you don't know the Lord. John would say in 1 John 3 that you don't. Because if you do know the Lord, you will love people, specifically one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is one of the reasons why we value church membership so much here. Because we believe that church membership is committed love. Remember, it's easy just to say, yeah, I love the church. Even say, yeah, I love Southside Baptist Church. But if you haven't taken that step of covenant commitment to say, okay, I'm not only going to love the idea of Southside, I'm going to love these names and these addresses and these phone numbers, you can't really truly love. Membership is nothing more than committed love. And so display the kingdom, show the world what it means by how we love one another. That's what Jesus said, right? John 13, 35. By your love for one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Then he says to be humble. Should be a given, but it's sadly not in my own heart and the heart of many. All Christians should be extremely humble. Proud Christians shouldn't even be a category, right? If we know who we are, we know who he is, we know we're nothing but sinners. The only thing we deserve is condemnation, yet he's given us so much in Christ. We know we are but dust. What do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4 asks us. If you received it, why do you act as if you earned it? Life is no longer about us and our little kingdoms of comfort, but about the kingdom of Christ and his church. Or as we just saw, we now put others first. It's a good definition of humility. We put others first. And notice all these things here we've mentioned, these presume a high commitment and to the stability and well-being, again, of the community. Remember, all these yous in here are y'alls, plural. They assume a commitment to the stability and well-being of the community. Love one another, be like-minded, be compassionate, be sympathetic, be humble. And so I want to ask, are you committed to this community? The tendency is not to exercise these virtues. For a couple of reasons. First, we just never get to the level where we have to practice these things. And we could look at every letter of the New Testament. We don't get in the, a depth, a level of depth in relationship that we have to even bear with one another, right? You've got to even be with one another enough to start getting on each other's nerves. And too often in the church, we don't even get to that level. And if we do, what do we do? Well, we avoid it or we bail. Go down the street, one of the other 700 Baptist churches in Abilene. But what God's will for us would be to not only get to that depth of relationship, and then when it gets ugly, because it will inevitably, right? We're like sandpaper. We're going to start to rub against one another. We're going to sin against one another. But you not only, you don't bail, you work through it. And you have conflict resolution and reconciliation. And you come out of that, and that's when true biblical fellowship begins to happen. So all these things Peter's calling us to just assumes that we are growing in our relationships with one another. So we'll practice love and humility and compassion. And we commit to it because the church is a family. How else do we display the kingdom? Next, he calls us to be peacemakers. Look again at 3.8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Four, and then he has this long quote from Psalm 34, which is actually one of Peter's favorite. He's alluded to it three or four times in this little letter. He says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and 
their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peacemakers. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attended to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Called to be peacemakers. We're called to seek to live at peace with everyone. We repay evil and insult, not with evil and insult, but with blessing. This is a hard call. We've seen it a couple times. We'll see it again. But remember, this is what Jesus is all about. He both taught it and he exemplified it. He taught it in Luke 6 and other places. Let me just read Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is some of the hardest call that Jesus calls upon us, and he does it all the time. And you know what? The word enemy, love your enemy. You know what the word enemy means in Greek? This is fascinating. Enemy. And most Christians are like, you know what? I will love my enemy until it becomes my enemy. But Jesus calls us to enemy love. And brothers and sisters, when we love our enemies, we don't have any more enemies. Our enemies become neighbors. And yes, how can I do that? How can I do that? I do not even like them. How can I love them? But here again, we must define love biblically. What the Lord is not calling us to is to have warm, fuzzy emotions for our enemies. He's calling us to act. That's what love is in the Bible. It's a verb. To love is to act rightly towards them, to give of self for their good, to absorb, to deny our rights as Jesus did. We're not talking about having warm emotions for them, but doing right by them. This is what Jesus taught. It's what Peter taught. We'll see in a little while. It's what Paul taught. But this is also what Jesus demonstrated, right? Remember a couple weeks ago? Look at 1 Peter 2, 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called. Sound familiar? It's the same exact phrase we see in our text. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So we're called to be peacemakers, to return blessing when we are insulted. There is no retaliation. Enemy love. Peter learned this the hard way. You remember that? Luke 22, I know you do, but let me refresh your memory. So Jesus is being arrested, and, and the chief priests and the Jewish rulers come, and they're about to arrest Jesus. Remember what Peter does? Busts out the sword. He's whoosh, cuts off an ear. Peter was better at fishing than sword fighting, apparently. But he cuts off his ear, and what does the Lord do? The Lord says, that's enough, and he picks up his ear. And he puts it back on. <laughs> I just would love to hear this. I wish we had more from this guy. You know he was all in. You know he was following Jesus after this. He probably didn't join the same home group as Peter, but he was all in for the Lord. <laughs> so Peter learned just very tangibly, you love your enemy. And Jesus demonstrates, totally innocent, yet gives him over, shows us the way of enemy love. So we make peace, and beyond that, we're actually blessed when there's not peace towards us, we're blessed when we suffer. 
When you suffer for what is right, you're blessed. We tend not to associate suffering and blessing. And that's a real problem because the Bible does it again and again and again. Let's look more at the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most important sermons in Scripture, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed, happy, flourishing are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, flourishing are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before me. We bless when we're cursed. And you say, that is impossible. And it is impossible on your own. But if you've trusted Christ, you have the Spirit, and you're able to do what the Lord calls you to do right here. We're talking about the a total transformation of our character. Here's how one scholar, Karen Jobes, puts it. She says, those who are able not simply to clench their teeth and remain silent, because that's not what he's calling us to. Those who are able not simply to clench their teeth and remain silent, but to maintain an inner attitude that allows one to pray sincerely for the well-being of one's adversaries are truly a witness to the life-changing power of a new identity in Christ. There's no other way to explain it. It makes me think of the Christian soldier who spends time with the Lord after a, a long day and he just does it regularly and he's being mocked and mocked and mocked and one night he's trying to read the word and pray and another soldier just throws a muddy boot right at his face and the next morning that angry soldier wakes up and his boots are polished right by his bed, ready for inspection. He blessed when he was persecuted. He blessed when cursed. Makes me think of the seminary I went to. I went to Southern Seminary and used to not be a, church, a seminary that believed the Bible. There's actually a lot of hostility toward the Bible, believe it or not, in a Baptist seminary, Southern Baptist seminary. But Albert Moeller comes in and he believed the Bible and so he wanted to get the seminary back uh, in shape biblically, uh, remove the heresy. It's a good thing to do in seminaries. So he comes and he was hated. He was, he was coming up to his office one time and there's a bunch of students, again, seminary students going to pastor the church of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they just spit on him as he's walking to his office. He goes up, and he calls Papa John's. Papa John's from Louisville. I'm sure it was Papa John's. Could have been Pizza Hut. Orders a bunch of pizza for the students. He blessed. He blesses when cursed. This is what we're called to. And we're called to do this so that we may inherit a blessing. And we're called to do this because to this we were called. So I don't know about all this. Peter says, to this we were called. And he says, so that we might inherit a blessing. Now, it's not that we suffer in order to go to heaven. It's not that we have to suffer to gain our salvation, right? Inheritance is never earned. An inheritance is never deserved. An inheritance is received by the generosity of someone else. He's already spoken of this inheritance back in chapter 1. Look at 1 Peter 1.3. How we began with praising God. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you so that we may gain an inheritance. So it's suffering and then glory. We've got to remember this pattern. This is the way it is. This Christian life is largely difficult. It is suffering and then glory because it was the pattern of Jesus and we're called to follow his steps. Suffering, then glory. 
the inheritance is coming. It's just not here yet. We see the same thing in Romans. Now if we are children, we're heirs. Inheritance, same language. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we share in his suffering, that we may also share in his glory. This is so important in the New Testament. Flip over to Paul. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Flip over there with me. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 9. Just notice the same things. We've seen them in Peter. We've seen them in Jesus. Now we'll see them in Paul. Romans 12, verse 9. I like to hear those Bible pages turning. The previous church was a little more hipster, and they mostly used tablets, so I didn't get to hear the pages. Let's just see the glow. <laughs> Romans 12, 9. Notice the similarity of themes here. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. It's not a side theme. It's a central theme. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. In other words, be sympathetic. Be compassionate. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. There it is again. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. We see it again and again and again. So we're called to display the kingdom by being communities characterized by love and compassion and humility and like-mindedness, sympathy and peacemaking. But notice, isn't that just saying be like Jesus? Didn't he exemplify all that above anyone else perfectly? So in other words, let's display the kingdom by being like our king. Second thing is then we are to declare the kingdom. Look at verse 15. 1 Peter 3:15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil so we display the kingdom and we declare the kingdom in fact what this verse is saying is that it's in our displaying of the kingdom that we might have the opportunity to declare the kingdom he starts here saying we need to revere Christ as Lord honor him as Lord in other words put him in his rightful place another way to say it is just obey him so many people who say that they know Jesus disobey most of what Jesus commands. It's sobering and staggering. May we turn from that sin and actually begin to follow Jesus. If Jesus is Lord, we will obey him. It's why the Great Commission starts how it starts. It starts with all authority. It's the great announcement before the Great Commission. All authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based upon that all, all that authority, therefore go 
and make disciples. And I will say almost weekly here that the Great Commission is not merely a missionary verse. It is a Christian verse. It is a verse for disciples. It's as you go. That's actually a participle. The main verb is make disciples. Every Christian is the disciple, and every disciple is called to make disciples. Because he's the Lord, because he has all authority, revere Christ as Lord. Calls one, one author to call a, this the mission equation. If there is one Lord who has all authority and to whom all people belong, that true? Then the people of that Lord must promote this reality everywhere. And so to declare the kingdom first, we got to put Jesus as Lord, revere him as Lord. And when we do this, we will be ready. We'll be ready to give an answer. So the question is, are you ready? It says always ready. Are you always ready? A great theologian, Will Smith, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Are you ready? One of my favorite quotes about Christian life is the Christian ministry is that most gospel ministry is ordinary people, that's all of us, doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Are we always ready? Are we always on? Are we being intentional in everything we do? Always prepared. Are you prepared to give an answer? Are you prepared to make a defense? That word here is the word apologia, where we get our word apologetics, defending the faith. And so if someone asks, what would you say? If someone came to you and says, tell me the reason for your hope, what would you say? Here, clearly, God expects every believer to be able to articulate the reason for the hope that is in them. And so if you don't, prepare for, if you don't feel prepared now, what steps can you take to get there? What's the next step today that you can get to where you've become prepared to answer when anyone asks? Let me mention three ways that I think you ought to pursue. One is to prioritize corporate worship. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but let me encourage you to come here with a little different mindset. Not only come here to worship and to pray and to hear the word and be instructed, yes, but come with a mindset of I'm coming to be instructed by the word of God to be equipped so that I can take whatever I receive from a Sunday morning Bible study, a Sunday morning service, a Wednesday night class, and be equipped and take that. It's always to receive, not as an end in itself, so that we can just have a bunch of eggheads running around. It's so that we can be instructed and received to be a means of blessing, right? We've seen it in Peter. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. And so come here with an eye to being equipped to do ministry. Second thing is plug into biblical community. Whatever that looks like, plug into biblical community where you are with people who share the same like-mindedness as you and you can talk about the things of the Lord. And then third, be a student of the word. Be in the word. If you are not in the word regularly, you will not be ready. And Peter has talked about just how important the word is. Look on the other page at chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter 2, 2. Remember this, like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk and we saw from the verses just above that's the milk of the word and if you're a bible marker mark this so that by it you may grow you want to grow as a christian you got to be in the word by it you may grow and so prioritize our gatherings get into biblical community be a student of the word reading the word reading good books about the word and notice peter assumes that people are going to come to us. You see that? They will approach us and they will ask us about our hope. Now, they can't read our minds, right? How are they going to know about our hope? 
Can they read our hearts or read our minds and say, oh, that looks like a hopeful person? No. We've seen it again and again that Peter expects our behavior to change if we've trusted in Christ. And so it will be our behavior that people see and say, what is that? Tell me more. They will come and they will ask us. We will make them curious and they'll say, what's that about? Why do you do that? What is it? Why do you care for our neighborhood? Why do you take on other people's work when you don't get compensated for it? Why do you avoid debt? Why do you spend so much time with people from your church? Why are you so hospitable? Why do you give so much? Why do you train your kids differently? Why do you approach technology from a different standpoint? How is your marriage still flourishing? How are your kids obedient? How come you cut vacations short to be in Sunday service at your church? Why are you so humble? How come you don't participate in Facebook slander? How is it that you can bless when you're insulted? How can you treat those who dislike you so well? Why would you foster those children? Why do you get up early to meet with that other Christian every week? And in this context of Peter, how do you handle trials and suffering so well? How do you rejoice when things go wrong? I wonder, is your hope changing your behavior and drawing questions from the outside world? And it is our hope. Remember, hope in Peter is not just kind of wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation based on a promise of God. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 3. It's based ultimately on the resurrection. It is a confident expectation. So we're hopeful. We're forward-looking. We know this isn't the end game. This isn't the end of the story. Death is not a period. It's a comma. Our citizenship is in heaven, and so we live like it. And our view of the future changes the way we live in the present. That's what, hope, what Peter's getting at here. Our hope will change the way we live. We know that we will live for eternity, and so we're going to center our lives around him. We refuse to major on the minors. We refuse to live for trivial things. We refuse to be so short-sighted like the rest of the world. We live for that which will matter in 10,000 years, and it changes us. And again, in this context, it helps us endure. Life is hard. Hope helps us endure. It makes me think about a couple of guys that both had families and they were locked up in a dungeon. And one of the men found out that his family had died. His wife and son had died. The other man, exact same sentence and same du uh, dungeon, heard that his, his family was still alive. And so within a couple of years, the guy that had no family started to just wither away and ultimately died there in prison. The other guy endured for 10 years, and then he was released, and he went and got his family. What was the difference? Hope was the difference. Hope helps us endure. And so be ready to give a defense for the reason that you, and again, that you is plural, the reason for the hope that y'all have. How we act and live as a community, it's counterculture, at least it should be. Should be a contrast society. We follow Jesus together and we help one another follow Jesus our Lord and show our lives should look different and they should provoke questions from the world we've seen that a few times look over at chapter 2 verse 12 live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits remember we're all worship leaders the way we live our lives ought to cause other people even though they accuse us to see our good needs and give glory to God. We saw that last week in marriage with wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior 
of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So be ready to give an answer and when you're asked about our hope. But notice he says, with gentleness. Look there in verse 15. But do, they're at the end, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think the Spirit put this here intentionally because we've probably all run into people who love apologetics that are just jerks. They think it's about winning an argument instead of winning a person. And so the Spirit, through Peter, says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And then he says, keeping a clear conscience. It's important that we not just talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. Gentleness and respect. Colossians chapter 4 Verse 5 says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace. As you make a defense and as you speak to others, are you full of grace? Or are you just trying to win an argument? An angry, an, evangelist, an angry evangelist ought to be an oxymoron. The word evangelist means the one who tells good news. Don't be angry about sharing good news. Do it with gentleness and respect. Proverbs 51, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has them captive to do his will. Instruct them with gentleness. Be gentle. Be respectful. Be full of grace. Don't be offensive. Let the offense come from the message of the gospel. It's offensive enough. Don't be offensive in the way you share it with being unloving or being harsh. And with a clear conscience. Can't talk about the hope we have if we're not living in line with it. So Southside, may God give us grace to be a people who faithfully displays and declares the hope of Jesus Christ.